Yes. Nice to meet you. <clears throat> For those of you uh, just, joining, uh, just joining us over the last couple of weeks, uh, my name is Brett. I am actually the lead pastor of this church. I just haven't preached in like forever uh, since May because uh, I and my family, we were away on sabbatical for three months. Uh, we missed you. We really did. We missed you a lot. We we love our church family. We missed you very, very much, and uh, it is good to be back in the pulpit this morning. I don't know if I remember how to do this, uh, but it is good to be to be back in the pulpit this morning. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of First John. It's near the end of the Bible, uh, right in there before Revelation. First John. We'll be in chapter four here for just a little bit. First John chapter 4. Tell you what will happen this morning. Um, I actually prepared about 17 slides uh, to, to come up during the sermon, just uh, different verses I'm going to refer to, different quotes. And apparently during my sabbatical, I forgot how to save documents. Uh, and so when I saved it and sent it to Levi, I had only saved four slides. Uh, so you're actually going to see the first couple of things I refer to up on the screen, and the rest you're just going to have to listen really well. Uh, and so, so just bear with me. First John chapter 4, uh, we'll be reading verses 7 through 8 in just a second here. Let's pray as we get started. Well, Father, we just uh, quiet our hearts before you here for just a minute. You say in your word, you tell us to be still and know that you are God. So, Lord, we just still our hearts. We pray for your help in doing that. We are in a very, very active world. Our hearts are so often restless. So, Lord, help us now just to to still our hearts, to be still, to know that you are God. And just thinking this week, you, you say in Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, my people. And so Lord, I know your desire is for your people to be comforted. And so Lord, we would just look to you now and just pray. And just ask that you would do that. That you would work through me, a very imperfect vessel. And you would speak this morning through your word to comfort your people. Comfort, comfort my people. Lord, we just ask that you would do this. Just thank you for a time in your word. I thank you for these people. Thank you for this church family you've given us here, Lord. It's just such a joy. It really is, Lord. We just thank you. We bless you. We need you. We need your help. So we just look to you now and pray for grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's wait just a minute and then we'll read um, in a few seconds here. Uh, when, when, when I left for sabbatical um, about six years ago, I was uh, preaching through the book of Nehemiah about halfway through. 
And I do plan to finish Nehemiah uh, in a few weeks, but for the next few Sundays, I'm really just going to do a little bit of a sabbatical overflow, so to speak. Uh, We had 12 weeks away. It was a a very gracious gift from this church family to us, just a a time for us to rest and and kind of recalibrate, uh, spend time with with our family members, uh, extended times in prayer, lots of reading, just spending time with Jesus. Uh, we were in Cape Cod, we were in Colorado, we were in Kansas City, we were back here. I actually spent the last eight days of my sabbatical alone uh, in solitude at a prayer cabin uh, in Wisconsin. And man, during those 12 weeks, the Lord really did do a very, very deep work in, in my heart uh, and in, in Molly's heart uh, d- during that time. It really, by the time it's all said and done, this sabbatical will have been life-changing for us. Uh, we're just convinced of that. I feel already that this was a life-changing uh, time for us. And over the next few Sundays, I really just want to share with you some of the ways that Jesus ministered to our hearts when we were away. And I'm just learning as a lead pastor that God doesn't usually just do things for me, that he does things for me so that I might overflow to you. Uh, so that's what I want to do. And, and, and the thing I'd like to think about with you today and next Sunday also is the idea of knowing yourself. Who are you? Who are you? You know, God, uh, he, he surprised Molly and me uh, this summer in some uh, dramatic ways. You know, we, we expected to get to know God better uh, over this summer. We expected to get to know one another better, to get to know our kids better. We certainly did. Uh, but God also took us on a bit of an inward journey. And he helped us to get to know ourselves better. You know, God created all of us very, very uniquely. Psalm 139, your frame was intimately woven together by God in the dark recesses of your mother's womb. He gave you a unique personality. He gave you a unique temperament and unique gifts. He he, he stamped his image on you in a very unique way. In your mother's womb, you bore the face of God in a very, very unique way. And man, Christians for 2,000 years now have recognized the importance of getting to know your true self. The importance of a healthy self-knowledge. Who did God create you to be? Who are you now at this point in your life? God wants you to know who He created you to be and who you now are. John Calvin's famous statement, he said this, He said, nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. God doesn't just want you to know Him. He wants you to know yourself. Or St. Augustine's famous prayer went like this. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself in order that I might know Thee. 
And there is a sense in, in which you can't really know God until you actually begin to know yourself. And in beginning to know yourself, who God created you to be, you begin to see God looking at you in particular ways, and you get to know Him. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself in order that I may know Thee. Christians have recognized for years the the, the value and the, the importance of getting to know yourself. And when I talk about that, I'm not talking about this morbid introspection, just this kind of sitting around and navel-gazing your entire life, just staring at yourself, a, a self-absorbed life which, which so many people live. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a healthy, Holy Spirit-led discovery of your true self, getting to know who God created you to be, getting to know who you are now at this point in your life and please hear me on this a lot of christians today they do not know much at all about this inward journey of getting to know yourself pete scazzaro he's a pastor in brooklyn new york he says most christians today they understand the upward and the outward journeys They understand the upward journey of getting to know God, the outward journey of getting to know other people. But he said most Christians today know very, very little about the inward journey. Actually getting to know yourself. And listen, not knowing yourself, not knowing your your true self, not not knowing who God created you to be, not, not knowing who you are at this point, point in your life that can cause lots of problems. David Benner, who wrote a great book called The Gift of Being Yourself, he said this, though there has never been any serious theological quarrel with this ancient Christian understanding of knowing ourselves, it has been largely forgotten by the contemporary church. We have focused on knowing God, intended to ignore knowing ourselves, and the consequences have often been grievous. Marriages betrayed, families destroyed, ministries shipwrecked, and endless numbers of people damaged. And i just be honest with you. Up until just a few years ago, I don't know how well I really knew myself. I don't know how well I really knew who God had created me to be and who I was at this point in my life. I don't think I knew that well what really made me tick a lot of times in in my life. And over the past few years, man, God has graciously been peeling the proverbial onion in my heart a little bit more and more and more, revealing to me more and more who I truly am. And God did a lot more of that on our sabbatical for both Molly and me. A bit more of this inward journey, getting to know ourselves a little bit better. The Holy Spirit leading us and revealing to us more who we were created to be and who we now are. That is not an easy journey. I think that is probably the most difficult journey you will ever go on as a believer. 
is the discovery of your true self. Because it is painful to see your true self at times and what you have become. It's painful, but it's really good in the long run. And the Lord knows that. You know, I feel healthier today, spiritually and emotionally, than I ever have in my entire life. Much more so in my entire life. And I just want to overflow a little bit today and next Sunday on this idea of knowing yourself. Who are you? Who are you? We'll start here today with this. When you think about who you are, when you stop and begin to think about that, the place where you must begin, the, the, the most important thing that you must know by far is this. Who are you? You are loved. You are loved. The God who created you very uniquely Well, this God actually loves you. A very relentless and and, and unceasing, tender and gentle, incomprehensible love for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The Bible says that God is love. It's a mind-blowing statement. In his essence, in his true being, who he is, in his eternal nature, that this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is love. And we see it right here, 1 John 4 7, if you go ahead and look at it. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. (laughs) And if you just glance down at verse 16, he's going to tell you again, the middle of the verse, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. God and God abides in him. God is love. The Bible's testimony is not just that God is loving. God, in His essential nature, His essential being, God is love. You could spend your entire life and never fully grasp that. We'll be trying to grasp that throughout all eternity. And, And here's the thing. This God who is love, well, His love overflows onto all of His created beings. He loves His creation. He loves His created beings. God loves all people without exception. He loves all people. Every single human being, no matter who you are. It doesn't matter what race. It doesn't matter what gender. It doesn't matter what political party you are. It doesn't matter if you recycle or don't recycle. God loves you. You, 
God loves all people, even the worst of sinners. God loves prostitutes. He loves pimps. He loves gamblers. He loves drunks. He loves addicts. He loves thieves. He loves murderers. And miracle of miracles, God even loves self-righteous, uptight, holier-than-thou, moralistic hypocrites. (laughs) Thank God for that, because that's how I grew up right there. I was both. I just hid the sinner, and I showed you the hypocrite. And God loved both parts of me. You know, we see what God is like in the person of Jesus, who is God in human flesh. And when Jesus walked this earth, He loved all people. He loved both prostitutes and Pharisees. He ate with both Simon the leper and Simon the Pharisee. And that table table fellowship with both of those camps was Jesus' way of saying, You are my friends! You're my friends. God loves all without exception. John 3.16 sums it up very simply. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. For God so loved the world. Why, why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? We could answer that a zillion different ways. Well, He came to show us who, what God is like. Well, He came to teach us truth. Well, He came to die for sin. Yes, all and above. But you really could just sum it up with one word. Why did Jesus Christ come? Love! Love! For God so loved His world. His entire created world. Because God loved every bit of His created world, every last person in this world, He gave His only Son. Brennan Manning, he says, he says it like this. He says, quote, God, he is not moody or capricious. He knows no seasons of change. God has a single relentless stance toward us. He loves us. He's the only God that man, he is the only God that man has ever heard of who loves sinners. False gods, the gods of human manufacturing, despise sinners. But the Father of Jesus loves all, no matter what they do. And he ends with this, but of course, this is almost too incredible for us to accept. End quote. It's it's so hard to accept. It's hard hard to even believe it. God is love. that That he loves all of his created people. He loves all. How do we know that God loves us? It's a very simple. It's the cross. It's, it's the cross. It's Calvary. The, the death of Jesus is the visible display of God's incomprehensible love for sinful humanity. Romans 5.8, Paul says it like this. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were Yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do we know that God loves us? It's the cross. That is the visible demonstration of God's relentless, tender, gentle love for sinful humanity. And listen, you you factor, you put all that together, and you, you know what? The key to life now is simply receiving God's love for you. Just receiving His love for you. Just let God love you. Do you recognize today 
You are a broken sinner, and you are in need of God's help. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that you are in need of God's love? Do you recognize that? Listen, if you do, simply turn to Christ in childlike faith. Man, come to him just as you are. Come just as you are as a sinner. Ask him for mercy. Receive God's forgiveness. Receive God's love for you. You're a prodigal child. We all are separated from the Father who loves us. And he simply calls us to come home. Turn to Christ and come home. My love is there for you, man, when you do come home looking to Christ for mercy, God does not beat you. God does not scold you for what you've done. God does not stiff arm you and keep you away for a while. No. He runs to you. Luke 15, prodigal father. He runs to you. He embraces you. And He kisses you. What a mind-blowing picture of God. He would embrace and kiss a filthy sinner coming home to Him. That's what He does. And He then brings you into the party. My word, you take a seat at God's family table. And He then rejoices over you. And listen, the love, the love that you now experience as a child of God, God, well, that right there is a love that will now extend into eternity. It will never, ever, ever, ever end. <laughs> ever. Listen, if you won't receive the love of God in your life, just won't simply turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness and follow Christ. If you, if you just won't let God love you in this life, God's love for you will come to an end at some point when you die. But man, if you will simply let God love you in this life, receive His love for you in Christ, you you will enjoy God's love forever. (laughs) Amen. Listen, as a child of God, God will love you in this life in a very, very, very special way. J.I. Packer says this. He says, God loves all people in some ways. But He loves some people in all ways. God loves all people in some ways. But He loves His people in all ways. God loves His people. Jesus loves His disciples. His followers very special way. David Benner, he says this about God's love for his people. Quote, God loves each and every one of us with depth, persistence, and intensity beyond imagination. God does not simply like you. Nor does God simply have warm, sentimental feelings towards you Because you were created in the divine image. The truth is that God loves you with what Hannah Hernard calls a passionate, absorbed interest. And he ends with this. God cannot help seeing you 
through eyes of love. End quote. He loves his children. He loves his children. If you are right now connected to Jesus Christ by just a simple childlike faith, man, it doesn't matter. A messed up, broken sinner a thousand times over. You've done horrible things in your life maybe, but you have turned to Jesus for mercy. If that is you, please hear me on this. Your core identity in this life, no matter what you are on the surface, Homemaker, engineer, teacher, student, white, black, Hispanic, doesn't matter. If you are connected to Christ by faith, your core identity in this life can be summed up in one word. Who are you? You are loved. That's who you are. That is your core identity in Jesus Christ. You are loved. You are loved. At the core of your being, your core identity, beloved. Beloved. God's beloved child. Do you realize that word beloved? (laughs) It's one of God's favorite descriptions of his people in the Bible. If you read through the New Testament books and you just count how many times God addresses his people as beloved... It's all over the place. We just read it there in 1 John 4, 7. He starts out, beloved. Beloved. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. Beloved. It's very simple. It's a simple principle. God, in His essential nature, in His essential being, well, God is love. And if you are now connected to this God through faith in Christ Jesus, well, you, by virtue of your connection to God, you are now the recipient of God's Eternal, infinite love. Your identity in Christ is beloved. God is love. You are beloved. And man, any inward journey you take as a Christian, if you don't start there, you're going to get in trouble. Any inward journey you take, man, to discover your truer self, who you truly are, the place where you must begin, the most important thing you must know about yourself by far is that right there. Who are you? You, at the core of your identity, you are beloved. That's who you are. And please listen. That right there, that is not based in any way on anything you ever have done or ever will do. It's not based in any way on your performance in this life, past, present, or future. Not at all. It doesn't hinge one bit on your performance at all. Those of you who have children, you know how it works. <laughs> you know how it works, man. I remember vividly the births of my, my five kids. I mean, you, you sit there, if you've had a child, you know. You just, you just look down at this little newborn child, all those beautiful little mind-blowing parts, man. That child has done absolutely nothing for you 
No performance whatsoever in that little thing's life. Man, that child is not yet able to perform in any way for you other than maybe to burp or sneeze or fart. Uh, Then nothing. The child does not have the ability to do anything for you. But man, when I would look down at my little child... What did I feel in my heart for that child? It was nothing but love. Overwhelming, tender, gentle, protective, furious love for my child. Based in no way on any type of performance. And it doesn't change when the child gets older. I still don't ultimately love my kids because of what they do or don't do. I ask my four-year-old daughter, Sophia, all the time, Sophia, why does daddy love you? You know what she says? Because I'm yours, daddy. Because I'm yours. And you know why she says that? Because I tell her that all the time. Sophia, I love you because you are mine. That's it. And you know what, Sophia? No matter what you do in this life, good, bad, beautiful, ugly, you will still be mine. And because you will always and forever be mine, I will always and forever love you. No matter what you do or don't do. And please hear me on this. If I, being a sinful father, feel that way about my child, how much more does your perfect heavenly father feel that about you? How much more does he feel it for you? Listen, the second you cling to Christ in faith, a tiny newborn Christian, you've not yet done anything good to please your Father. Your Heavenly Father looks at you and He says, Mine! You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. And I love you simply because you are mine. And you will always be mine. So no matter what you do in this life, good or bad, beautiful, ugly, does not matter. Because you will always be mine, I will always and forever love you. That's what your father says to you. You know, that which took place in the life of Jesus Christ, it really also in some ways took place for you, Christian. You know, Jesus in his life on this earth, before he ever performed a single miracle... Before he ever taught or before he ever really did anything supernaturally amazing, well, Jesus was baptized and a voice then spoke from heaven. His father saying to him, Luke 3.22, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. With you, Jesus, I am delighted. With you, Jesus... Jesus, you give me joy. You give me joy just because you're mine. 
And listen, God, God, God essentially says the same thing to you. The second you trust in Christ, no performance whatsoever, and, and, and God looks at you with a gigantic smile on His face. And He says, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. I'm delighted with you. You give me joy. You give me joy. God loves every, he loves every single part of you. He loves the whole and the healthy parts of you. But he also loves the broken and unhealthy parts of you. God, he loves the both end of you. He looks at every last bit of you and he says, mine, you are mine. Who are you? Beloved. Brennan Manning says this, quote, My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. David Benner says it like this, An identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. When you're in a conversation with somebody and they ask you, who are you? What, what do you do in this life? Where, where, where do you live? Do you ever just pause and say, hey, do you want to know who I am? I am beloved. Does that even come to your mind that that's who you are? That's your identity. Your deepest core identity in Christ. Now whether or not you actually get that deeply, whether or not that actually resonates through your system is another question. Because because here's one of the biggest problems for, for most Christians. You can know that to be true in your head and not really know it in your heart. You, you, you can know in your head that God loves you. you. You can know that objectively, notionally, theoretically. You can read it in the Bible and you know it in your head. Jesus loves me. I read it right there in the Bible. You, you, you sing Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But here's the thing. Biblical truth is not supposed to stop in your head. It's supposed to go through your head and penetrate your heart. It's supposed to penetrate your affections. Listen, God, 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 God doesn't want you just to read about His love for you. No, God wants you to taste it. Thomas read it in the welcome earlier. Taste and, and see that I am good. Taste it. Jonathan Edwards said, You can know that honey is sweet in your mind. But you know it's sweet very differently once you've actually tasted that honey. And you can know God loves you in your mind. But once you've truly begun to taste it deeply in your soul, you know it 
in a way you never knew it before. God doesn't want you to just know it up here, but in your heart. He wants you to know it uh, subjectively. God wants you to feel His love for you. He wants you to feel it deep in your bones. To be gripped by it. A rich, experiential, deep down heart knowledge of His love for you. God doesn't just want you to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He wants you to get to the place where you can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for I have also tasted it to be so. I know He loves me. My Father loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He wants us to taste that. He wants to move it from your head down to your heart. And please listen to me, man. The longest distance in the world is at 18 inches between your head and your heart. So many Christians say God loves me. So many Christians know it to a certain degree in their, their minds, which is good. They can read it in the Bible. They know it. Yep, that's so good. But that truth hasn't yet really affected them much down deep in their souls. They, they, they have not yet really, as, as Christians in the past used to say, they have not yet really been seized by the power of God's great affection for them. That's what the Christian life is. It's becoming more and more seized by God's great, by the power of God's great affection for me, for you. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays for the Christians, the Christian people. He's praying for the church in Ephesus. And what did Paul pray for these Christians in in Ephesus? He prayed that the Holy Spirit would work in their inner beings in such a way that they might know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And please hear me, these Christians in Ephesus, they knew about the love of Christ in their minds. I know that Paul had told them about the love of Christ many times. Others had probably told them they knew it up here. But Paul was praying for them that the Holy Spirit would do a deep work in their hearts so that they might know the love of Christ down in their souls. So they would taste it. Do you realize that's what the biblical word knowing means? You can say, I know the love of God, but do you know what the biblical word know means? It's an experiential word. It means you have experienced that thing. If you go back to the early parts of the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve get together in the Bible in a very euphemistic way, says that, well, Adam then knew Eve. And we know what that's talking about, Adam knew Eve. And listen, it wasn't just that Adam stood back and said, hey, I know this woman Eve now. She's very pretty. Wow, look at her. She's got uh, whatever color hair. I know her from a distance in my head. No, he had experiential knowledge of Eve. He knew her. Deeply down in his soul had experienced Eve. And that's how God wants us to know the love of Christ. To know it, not just here, but to know it experientially. God loves me. 
Paul prayed that for the believers in Ephesus. He wanted them to know the love of Christ for them in deep experiential ways. Paul wanted those those Christians to taste the love of Christ for them. And man, you and I desperately need that too. We just have to taste the love of God for us. Taste the love of Christ for us. And not just once, but ongoing. More and more and more and more. The coin has to drop into the Coke machine. (laughs) You put the coin in. God's love for us. It goes in the Coke machine. It gets stuck. (laughs) And somebody has to kind of nudge the Coke machine and get that coin to drop down into the machine so that you know it in your soul that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Man, we desperately need that. You know, I need that as a pastor. As a pastor, I have talked about the love of God for years. And I have genuinely tasted His love for me to a certain degree in my life. I know I've just had experience in my life just tasting the love of God for me. But man, over the last couple of years or so, God has been dropping that coin deeper and deeper into my soul. You know one of the main things I did every single day on my sabbatical? You know what I did? I just practiced letting God love me. I actually got that from Brendan Manning. He spent his whole life basically practicing letting God love him. And I just started doing it over the sabbatical and even before just practicing every day, letting God love me. Just practice opening myself up to God and to Jesus in in the word or or in prayer, just out in in nature, just kind of opening myself up and then letting God love on me just as I am. And man, my experiential knowing of God's love my tasting of God's love has slowly been dropping so much deeper in my heart. I'm, man, I'm hearing now more than ever just that still, quiet voice in my soul, Brett, I love you. You are my beloved son. And I will always love you. I am delighted in you, Brett. You give me joy, Brett. Just as you are. Just as you, as you are. Man, I honestly, I've been praying for months now that you would also begin to taste God's love in deeper ways. I have been praying Paul's words in Ephesians 3 for our church, myself included, over and over and over again. God, strengthen us. Strengthen us with might in our inner beings by your Spirit in order that Christ might dwell deeply in our hearts through faith. In order that we, being rooted and grounded in your love, might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth that we might know the love of Christ. That passes knowledge and be filled with the fullness of God. Just praying that for our church. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, to taste. To taste your love for us. Amen. When you do begin to taste God's love for you in much deeper ways, when you actually begin to believe that God loves you, deep in your heart, when you begin to taste His love for you, you know what? That love changes you. It just changes you. 
There was an Indian poet. His name was, I don't know how to pronounce it, Tagore, I'm going to guess. He compared the human soul to a flower bud. You know, God created you to be very unique. Very unique created being. A very unique flower bud uh, inside of you. Your, your soul. With a beautiful fragrance and radiant colors all your own. I don't have your same colors. I don't have your same fragrance. Some of you men, I'm thankful I don't have your fragrance. <laughs> that was from the Holy Spirit. I didn't even plan that. <laughs> Man, you got this flower bud inside of you. Radiant colors. Just an incredible fragrance inside of you. But you can't open that bud yourself, Tagore says. If you try to open it up yourself and let your colors out and, you, and, and your, your fragrance out, you'll mess up the petals. You can't open a bud yourself. Only the sun can cause a flower bud to blossom. The sunshine of God's love. And when God's tender love for you slowly begins to warm your heart, warm that bud in your soul, it slowly begins to open and you begin to release to the world your fragrance, your your colors that God has given to you. Tagore said this, he said, He who can open the bud does it so simply. He gives it a glance and the life sap stirs through its veins. At his breath, the flower spreads its wings and flutters in the wind. Colors flush out like heart longings. The perfume betrays a sweet secret. He who can open the bud does it so simply. And it's his love for you that opens up that bud inside of you, causes it to blossom. If you're united to Christ by faith today, who are you? You are loved. You are loved. And the more you begin to believe that, taste it, experience it, that love, man, it will change you. I know from experience, my wife and I are beginning to sense it even more. So can I, can I encourage you to do something? Practice letting God love you. Practice letting Him love you. Practice just opening yourself up to God in His Word, prayer, out in nature. Open up to God and let Him love you. Stop trying to do so much for Him and let Him love you. He wants to love on you. Let Him. Receive His love for you daily. Bask in it. Soak in His love for you. Soak in that sunshine. Spend a little time. I'd encourage you to do this. Spend a little time every day thinking about God's love for you. Thinking, pondering, meditating on Jesus' love for you. I just encourage you to do this. If you, you just kind of walk out of here and say, yeah, that'll happen. Well, uh, you know, I really encourage you, set aside some time, just a few minutes even. Just open yourself up. Let God love on you. Set aside some time to think or, 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 or meditate or just ponder on His love for you. I've been trying to do that for, for months now, changing me. Take some time. 
to think about his love for you. And listen, when you think about God's love for you, can I encourage you to do something? Think really, really big. Think big about God's love for you. You know, we tend to think so small about God's love. Oh, we've heard it. A sermon on love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus loves me. This I know. I see it at the cross. That's it. That's as far as we can go. No, man, think big. Flesh it out. Take your time. Make sure that that concept gets, gets flesh and blood on it. That it becomes real to you. Think big. Flesh it, flesh it out a little bit. Take your time. Meditate on things like this. Think, think about God as your father. Your Abba. That's what Jesus told you to call God. Your Abba. You know what Abba means? Papa. Jesus said, call dad, call, call God your papa, your, your, your daddy. And man, how much does a perfect papa love his child? If I, being a sinful papa, love my children, how much more does a perfect papa love his kids, love you? Man, your abba knows all of you. He understands all of you. He accepts all of you. The whole unhealthy parts, the broken, unhealthy parts. He accepts your both and. Your Abba looks at all of you every day with a big smile on his face. And he says, you are mine. I love you. Brennan Manning used to teach people to pray. This thing he called the Abba prayer. (laughs) I've been practicing it for months. Just pause. Look up to heaven, put a smile on your face to remind yourself that God is pleased with you, and just say, Abba, I belong to you. I belong to you. I belong to you. Pray it. Pray it when you're anxious. Pray it when you wake up at night and you're scared. Pray it, Abba, I belong to you. And see if it doesn't start sinking down Deep in your heart. Or man, when you're thinking about the love of God for you, maybe think about this. You, child of God, you actually give your Abba joy. Think about that. (laughs) I want you just to listen to this verse. Mind-blowing. Zephaniah 3.17. Meditate on this. God says, here, here, here it is, the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Did you know that God is a singing God? Did you know that? And he sings over you. He sings over you, quiets you with his love, rejoices over you with gladness, exults over you with loud singing. Or man, just think about that prodigal son story, the sinner coming home and the father just embracing and kissing and bringing into the party. And think about your father doing that for you. Think about his kiss, his embrace. Feel it, enjoy it. Let the sun of his love warm your heart and see what happens. He loves you. Or maybe 
Picture the look on Jesus' face when John the Apostle laid his head on Jesus' chest. Or the look on Jesus' face when the sinful woman wept over his feet. What was the look on his face? It was just infinite compassion, tenderness, grace, love. Picture that. That's his look for you. You are his bruised reed, and Jesus will never break you. You are his smoking flax. He will never, ever, ever quench you. Picture, picture those things. Picture Jesus as your bridegroom. Men, is that hard for you? Get over it. <laughs> Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. Men and women, step into that. That is a marriage relationship. If I, being a sinful husband, love my wife, how much does a perfect husband love his wife? Step into that. Read the Song of Songs and the language that the bridegroom speaks to the bride. Step into it and receive it. Do you realize at one point the bridegroom says to the bride, You have captivated my heart with one look from your eyes. Is it possible that Jesus is saying that to you? Yes. You captivated my heart with one look from your eyes. Man, take your time. Think big about the love of God. Man, speak that to one another. Flesh it out for one another. We forget it. Flesh it out and pray. And just ask, ask God to warm your heart and to sink his love for you deep into your soul. And trust that the Father will do that for you. And the bud in your heart will begin to blossom, (laughs) releasing your true fragrance and colors too the world. Lord, you are really good. We lose sight of it so, so quickly. Father, I just ask you to forgive us for the way I and all of us have really belittled your love for us. We're just numb to it. We've not been affected deeply in many areas of our soul. We've not We've not, Lord, to a great degree been seized by the power of your great affection for us. Lord, the buds, our souls are just still cold and closed to some degree. And I thank you that you're tender towards us. You're caring. You're kind. Father, it's only a work of your spirit that will open our hearts to know the unknowable love of Jesus for us. So I just ask for my entire church family, for myself included, that you do this work in our hearts and you'd warm our hearts with the sun of your love for us. Who are we, Lord God? We are loved in Christ. Help us to believe it. In the name of Jesus, amen.